Well, good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Alyssa. I'm one of the pastors here at Central City. It's so good to be in worship with, with you this morning. Today we are continuing in a series called Good Questions, 21 Questions, 21 Days to a More Authentic Faith. And we honestly believe that this series, these questions can help each of us grow in our faith in God. So if you didn't know it, we are a United Methodist Church and that might surprise some people. And this, and being United Methodist can mean certain, you know, a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, but one of the most significant things it means to us is that we track our roots all the way back to the ministry of John Wesley in the 1700s in England. He was an Anglican priest um, who later in his life, after being a priest for several years, had this awakening in his faith. He said that his heart was strangely warmed as he felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he became so excited for his faith and his life with God that his passion began to spread to those around him, specifically his brother um, at this college that he was teaching at. I'm not sure what's going on with the mic. I'm sorry. But he began to organize people into what he called classes. These classes were for people who wanted to grow in their faith. So people who would go to church on Sunday morning, they wanted more. They believed that worship was good, but it wasn't the only thing. In order for people to remain in the faith, they needed to be talking about their faith and being held accountable throughout the week on a regular basis. So John Wesley developed these questions that help people grow in their faith and hold each other accountable. And as he put it, they helped people watch over one another in love. These questions allowed people to take an honest look at their relationships with God, with self, and with others. So you have all 21 questions on your update on the back of that. And so each week, we're going to be taking a look at a different section of that. Um, the first group is about our relationship with God, which we talked about last week. The second, about our relationship with self. And the last question, even though it says we're going to talk about those today too, we're not. I don't have time for that. So we're going to talk about those next week, um, about our relationship with others. So during this series, we invite you to um, continue in this journey with us, to spend time reflecting on each of these questions each day. So we have devotions that we've prepared, but also just reflecting on one question every day, I think is a good practice that we can get into. So last week, we looked at the questions like, is Jesus real to me? Am I enjoying prayer, etc." So I encourage you to take a look at those questions because they aren't just the first questions in this series, but these questions honestly influence how we answer the remaining questions. The way in which we interact and think about our life with God influences the way we think about ourselves and other people. So today and this week, for the next seven days, we're going to spend time um, with questions relating to ourself. These questions are, am I proud? Am I defeated in any part of my life? Do I go to bed on time and wake up on time? Do I grumble and complain constantly? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? How do I spend my spare time? And the last one, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Now, these are tough questions. These are not questions that I typically want to ask myself on a regular basis because they just make me depressed. <laughs> um, but if we think about it, everyone around us is trying to figure out answers to these questions as well. Just Google self-help books 
or search on Amazon self-help books, there, I mean, there are just millions. And um, I, I did some Googling. Well, I searched on Amazon top self-help books. So here are some titles. I just thought they were fun. Girl, wash your face. It was funny. But I've heard people bring this up on Facebook, too, recently. A lot of people have been reading this book. But anyways, girl, st- girl, wash your face. Stop believing the lies about who you are so you can become who you were meant to be. That's one of the top sellers. Another one, make your bed. Little things that can change your life. Another one, the power of positive thinking. The power of now. Now, each of these books and the millions others like them, are all capitalizing on our deep desire within each of us to be better, to do better, to know more. As one blogger put it, the self-help claims to possess the tools and know-how to transform your life into a shinier, sparklier version. Isn't that true? We read these books because we want to be shinier and sparklier and better and more. And people will spend thousands of dollars going to three-day retreats to, that claim to transform the rest of their lives, or they memorize lists of, these are the top seven things you need to do to have a better life. The self-help industry itself is a $10 billion a year industry and growing. So raise your hand if you've ever bought a self-help book. You don't really have to raise your hand, but I do have. So there's different categories. There's diet books. There's marriage and relationship health books. There's leadership development books. These are all this self-help thing. Well, I was looking through our Kindle library. Joe and I, we share a Kindle library. For one thing, we need to keep our Kindle away from Finn because there were two murder mystery thriller books that were on there that, well, unless Joe is secretly into those type of books, well, you might, okay, he's not. So we need to keep our Kindle away from Finn, one. But I also noticed that we have bought several, and yes, several means four more, books that claim to have the perfect balance of any number of things we need in order to make our life better. Here's a few that are on our Kindle. A Failure of Nerve, Manage Your Day-to-Day, The Language of Leaders, The 17 Indisputable Laws of Teamwork, And this one is funny, The Dude's Guide to Marriage. (laughs) I didn't buy that one, just saying. But what is it that's so attractive about this genre? I think we're all looking for ways to improve our lives, which is not a bad thing at all. If something isn't growing, it's probably dying. And so improving our lives, being better people, knowing more things is a good thing. But you would think that by now someone has written the secret to all of this, right? Like that one book that all of us need to read that will make everyone's life better. And why didn't the book that I bought last year, why didn't that fix everything? Why do I keep going to the bookstore browsing in this section, which I do? Do I really need five different diet books that all say different things? This one you can eat bread, this one you can't. All different books. And then I won't even talk about Pinterest. So what is it about this list? What is it about John Wesley's questions? Why are we teaching on John Wesley's questions instead of Stephen Covey's seven habits of the highly effective person? Well, for me, the difference in John Wesley's questions is that John Wesley believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. He believed in the power of the Holy Spirit to convince us and to sanctify us, to make us holy. 
The purpose of these questions is not to make us good, shiny, sparkly people, but the purpose of these questions is to set us apart for God, to transform our hearts into the likeness of Christ. And when our hearts are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, our lives begin to look different as well. Now, I recognize, and this is what makes me a little little uncomfortable about these questions, they mostly use negative language. No one wants to grumble all the time. No one wants to be a slave to anything. No one wants to be like this. But so many times I've read these questions and just been discouraged because I don't know how to change. I don't know how to be different. I don't know how to stop grumbling or complaining or venting. I don't know how to, you know, spend my spare time better. And the truth is, and I think this is why we keep buying these self-help books, is that I can't change on my own. I can't do it on my own. But I totally lost my, sorry. I can't do this on my own. And I think that's what's the hardest part about this for me. And I think that's why it's the hardest part for all of us. That's why we keep buying these self-help books. That's why maybe, maybe the, the one that I buy this year will be better than the one last year. But I can't just will myself to be different. You know, if I could do that, then I wouldn't be this way in the first place. But I truly believe, and this is what John Wesley believed, and this is why he put these questions together, is that it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit that anything can be done inside me. It is only in the power of the Holy Spirit that anything can change within me. The purpose of these questions that Wesley asked is life transformation. And when I think about someone in Scripture, yes, we're going to look at Scripture, When I think about someone in scripture who represents this kind of life transformation, I think of Peter. Now, Peter, his life just exemplifies the before and after of these questions when I look at it. So we're going to walk through the book of Matthew, and I want to show you a couple different stories of Peter and Jesus um, and this transformation that takes place. So Matthew, it's the first book in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus' time here on earth. Matthew starts out talking about Jesus' birth, and then he goes through this journey of Jesus' ministry in Israel, and then he shares about Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, as I was looking for Peter's story in Matthew, I saw that this book is also, in a lot of ways, a story of Peter's journey with God. Out of the 28 chapters in Matthew, Peter is a main character mentioned by name, mentioned by name, 15 times, not to mention all the other times that he's mentioned alongside the rest of the disciples. So he was walking, eating, resting, and learning with Jesus for three years. Now, just to, to prepare all of you, Jesus didn't call perfect people. So as we look at Peter's story, remember that. Jesus didn't call perfect people to be his disciples. He didn't call perfect people to represent him. He called normal, everyday people who are proud, who grumble, who don't go to bed on time. And this was Peter. This was Peter. I'm excited about this because this is fun. It was just so fascinating. Look at these questions and looking at Peter's story. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 14. Now, Peter's mentioned a couple times before that. He's the first disciple that Jesus calls. Um, who who starts to walk with Jesus. Um, Jesus heals his mother-in-law, which is, I think, a a powerful story. He's walking with Jesus, going all these. Well, the first first part that, that struck me was Matthew chapter 14, verses 29. A lot of us know this story. It's, uh, when Jesus walked on water, 
So you can follow along in your Bibles. I didn't put anything on the screen today, um, but if you have a personal Bible, um, you can follow along in there, or um, you can just listen to the, to the story. They're fun stories to listen to as well. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 29 says, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now this is a significant moment in Peter's life. He's seen the power of Jesus. He's seen all the miracles face to face up front. He knows that he can trust Jesus. Jesus has done all of this amazing things. He can do this thing in my life. So he gets out of the boat. He walks on water with Jesus. The next verse, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Now Jesus saw the doubt in Peter and called him out saying, why did you doubt? Now if we're honest with ourselves, we become defeated in our lives, in any part of our lives, because we doubt. We doubt ourselves, we doubt Jesus, we doubt Jesus' power in our lives. And I think this is where Peter finds himself. He becomes defeated. He becomes overwhelmed with this doubt and seeing all of these circumstances around him, and he gives in. My favorite scenes of Peter is in Matthew 16. So if you want to flip to Matthew 16, and chapter 16 and 17, there's a couple different places um, in in these chapters. So Matthew 16, Jesus is asking the disciples, who people all around them think that Jesus is. So he says, who, who do people say that I am? And they give a couple different answers. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he asks him, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you are the Messiah. Jesus then says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for this was not revealed by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Wow. Wouldn't that be incredible to hear Jesus, the Son of God, who has all this power to do all these miracles, do everything that that Peter has witnessed, and Peter says that you are the one that I will build my church on. But wait. Peter's human. Three verses later, Jesus is sharing that he is going to suffer and die. Peter's response is, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. So just a couple verses earlier, Jesus says, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And now he's saying, get behind me, Satan. That's, that's, that's life, right? One step forward, two steps back. That's how we feel. But Jesus doesn't hold this against him. He doesn't take back what he says about Peter being the, being the rock and building his church on, on this foundation. Jesus knows that Peter is human, and Jesus knows his heart. So just a few days later in chapter 17, um, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a mountain for a retreat. So he's not saying, get behind me, Satan, and never again will I ever be with you. He says, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block. Now come, I want to show you who I really am. So he goes up on this mountain, and Peter gets to witness God blessing Jesus, saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. That's such a powerful, for me, that's such a powerful image of my relationship with God. 
One moment, I'm with God, I'm, I'm on board, I'm, I'm right there, I'm tracking with him. And then the next minute, I'm like, whoa, whoa, God, this is not, no, this is not happening, you can't do this. And God lovingly, after he tells me no, God lovingly brings me alongside again, and I can fall right back in line. Such a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. Well, the next chapter Peter comes to Jesus and asks a question probably many of us wonder about as well. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister or spouse who sins against me? Up to seven times? Is that enough? Peter sounds a little self-justifying here to me because I asked this question of Jesus too. How many times do I have to put up with this? Can I ever just say no? Can I ever just let it go? And Peter, being self-justifying, is also looking for Jesus to justify him. But Jesus, instead of doing that, instead of condemning Peter, he teaches him about mercy. So even in the moments when we you know, are proud, even in the moments when we're not with, in line with Jesus, Jesus comes to us and teaches us about mercy and grace and forgiveness. In the next chapter, Matthew 19, Jesus encounters a rich man who inquires about his wealth in heaven. So he has this conversation with this rich man, and eventually Jesus tells all the disciples that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Peter's response to that in verse 27 sounds a little whiny to me. He says to Jesus, he says, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us in heaven? Now, I'm not sure if he's complaining that they had to give everything up to follow Jesus or if he's proud and hoping for a better reward. Either way, in this moment, we see Peter's humanity. And Jesus replies that the first will be last and the last will be first. So Peter's journey, Peter continues his journey with Jesus, and we come to the days just before Jesus is crucified. Jesus and all the disciples are sitting around the table at the Last Supper, and Jesus is confiding in his most trusted friends that he knows they will all betray him. Can you imagine that? But in this moment, in Peter's pride, he responds that, Matthew 26, verse 33, he says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. That even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Now, I can imagine Jesus' sadness hearing that reply, knowing that Peter is going to betray him. And he eventually does. Uh, but first, Jesus takes all of his disciples to the garden with him and specifically invites Peter and two other disciples to pray with him. In verse 40, it says, When he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. So Peter and these other disciples, Jesus asked to pray with him. And then they fall asleep. In their spare time, they're supposed to be praying, and they sleep. Anyone else? Anyone else? <laughs> this is me. <laughs> Jesus says, I want you to spend time with me. And I'm like, well, I'd rather take a nap. <laughs> I'd rather take a nap. And this happens two more times with the disciples. Jesus goes and prays, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. And he says, guys, please, just, just pray with me. I'm in distress. I need you in this moment. And he comes back and they, they're asleep again. Obviously, they didn't go to bed on time the night before. 
But later, just as, just as Jesus predicted, Peter, a slave to his reputation and the thoughts of others, denies Jesus, just as Jesus predicted. In verse 22 of chapter 26, it says, Peter is asked several times by different people, hey, you're one of Jesus' followers, right? And he says, no, no, no. In verse 72, he says, I don't know the man. Worried about what these other people are going to think about him or do to him. Now, I wanted to walk through these different questions and how they look played out in someone's life. And I think we all live in these moments as well. In these moments of, yes, I can do this. I'll do this. And in these moments of, oh, what do other people think of me? And in moments of, well, I'd rather just do my own thing than be with God. We all live in these moments just as Peter did. But, and Wesley's questions aren't pointing out anomalies. They're pointing out our humanity. It is, dare I say, normal to be prideful, to complain. It's normal to be self-conscious or self-justifying. It's normal to be selfish with our spare time. Followers of Jesus, Jesus shows us a new lifestyle, a new way of being. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just show us, but he provides a means for us to get there. He provides a way of accomplishing this change of heart, this transformation of being. And again, we witness this in Peter's life. This is the exciting part. We thought we were done. We thought, you know, it ended with Peter denying Jesus and Jesus dies on the cross. And that's the end of Peter's story. You know, we didn't get to see his high moments He ends on this low account, but that's not the end. And it's never the end with Jesus. There's always transformation. And this is the story that the church celebrates today. So in the church calendar today, we celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost is the birth of the church in the church calendar. It's 40 days after Easter. It's the 50th day of the Jewish festival of Passover, which is why it's called Pentecost, 50 days. And we read of that first Pentecost after Jesus. We read about that in the book of Acts. So I'm going to read chunks of this story, and you can follow along in your Bible if you want. Um, But just try to picture this scene of uh, this first first Pentecost after Jesus. So it's Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So all the disciples are together in this room where they've been since Jesus died, basically. They didn't leave. They were terrified. They didn't know what this meant, that Jesus was gone and and they were supposed to be his followers. And now what is their question? So they're sitting in this house and this violent wind comes. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is where we get into Peter's story. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, it was not normal to be drunk at nine in the morning then. No, this is what the prophet Joel spoke. 
The prophet Joel said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Verse 22, he continues on. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. He's no longer denying Christ. The last time we saw him, he said, I don't know the man. Several days later, the Holy Spirit comes, enables him to have this confidence in who God is, and allows him to address crowds of people. This is a huge festival. He's now addressing crowds of people, claiming to know who Jesus is. Verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He said, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, this is what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. This is what transformation through Jesus Christ can look like. Those moments where we're like, Jesus, I don't want this to happen. You can't let this happen. Those moments when we doubt and we, we take our eyes off of Jesus, those are going to happen. But also through the power of the Holy Spirit, there can be moments in our lives when we look up and we tell people that Jesus is God, that Jesus loves and came to save in all of us. And this is what Jesus meant by he will be the rock upon which the church will be built. This was the day, the first day of the church, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a change. Not just in Peter, but in all of the disciples. From this moment on, they all went out. They all started churches. They all preached the gospel. They all told everyone they knew about Jesus because they saw the power of Jesus. Now, they witnessed his miracles. They saw what he could do, but it wasn't until they personally experienced the Holy Spirit inside of them that they were then able to go and share that with the people around them. Now, before the Holy Spirit changed Peter's life, he was proud, self-justifying, and didn't really get what Jesus was doing. And he probably had moments of that, you know, in the midst of this. We always have those seasons where we're back and forth. But he continued to pray for the Holy Spirit. In Acts, and he and others are praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon them so that they know the decisions to make. And because he continued to pray for the Holy Spirit in his life, he continued to see greater and greater miracles that you can read all throughout Acts. Now, at first glance, we look at these questions and we're like, we're just discouraged. They're just, they're just negative, and I don't want to be like that. If someone were to accuse me of being proud or complaining all the time, they'd probably be right, but I would feel really sad. These questions sometimes remind me of how great a failure I am, but in this series, I'm reminded, especially after last week, we live in a relationship with God. 
I've reflected on God, I've reflected on the truths of scripture in my life with God, and I know that I'm not overcome. Because once the Bible starts to live in me, and once I know that Jesus is real in me, then I know that answering these set of questions, answering them honestly, only further allows me to love God, myself, and others better. When I answer these questions honestly, it only allows me to better love God, myself, and others. And John Wesley, at the end of his life, he said, the best of all is God is with us. God didn't leave Peter. Jesus didn't leave Peter. He didn't say, Peter, you failed. You're going over there. He doesn't leave us ever. Even when we answer yes to every single one of these questions on a daily basis, God is with us. And I know this because as many times as I've wrestled with these questions, God has not left me. Each time I am changed just by encountering God. As we close, I want to invite the band to come back up. But for the sake of this teaching, you know, we've grouped these into three different categories, God, self, and others. But, but when Wesley wrote these questions, they were really interspersed. They weren't, they weren't divided into these categories. They were all mixed together. And you see, our faith life is not separated either. The way we think about God is directly impacted, directly impacts the way in which we think about ourselves and interact with others. Now, self-help is only ultimately helpful when it's in the context of community, when it's in the context of small groups, when it's in the context of people who can hold us accountable, and when it's of the Holy Spirit, the triune God. As we reflect on the questions this week, I would encourage you to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Don't just reflect on them because you're just, you know, going day, but really pray for the Holy Spirit to come, to change you, to show you the power of God in your life. We're going to sing this next song, and it's called, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. And I would just encourage you that, to let that be your prayer, starting now, but let that be your prayer this week. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you stand and join us in this song?